Zechariah, Zechariah, just before Malachi, Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. And uh, we will be there in just a couple moments together. Zechariah 9.9. You know, it's been uh, about 2,000 years since the uh, death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can understand why we celebrate uh, Good Friday and Easter Sunday. I mean, we know that real well. But isn't it interesting, isn't it interesting, after 2,000 years, we still celebrate Palm Sunday. It was an important event in the life of Christ. It really was. And it's very much related to his first coming, uh, where with regards to his first coming, uh, he laid down his life for our sins, as we have sung about this morning. Uh, I like to look at the contrast between the first coming and the second coming of Christ. just want to mention this. Uh, the first coming of Christ, of course, was predicted in the Old Testament Scriptures, but so was his second coming, which is future from us today. And what's really interesting is we are amongst those who are looking for the return of Christ. <clears throat> we really are. There's two phases to the second coming of Christ. The first phase is called the rapture. It's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The first phase. And that's when believers are caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And uh, what an event that's going to be. You know, uh, if it happens this afternoon, your neighbor's going to say, where's my neighbor? You know? Uh, we are literally going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. But then after seven years of judgment on the earth, Jesus Christ is coming back down again to the earth, to Jerusalem, to rule and reign. Uh, just think with me along with these little contrasts between his first coming and his second coming. His first coming, he came to die. Second coming, he's coming to reign. First coming, he came and went into Jerusalem on a donkey. Second coming, he's coming back in triumph on a white horse. He came as a servant the first time. The second time, he's coming as exalted king. He came the first time to save people from their sins. He comes the second time to judge those who reject him. He came the first time in love, and he comes the second time in love as well, but as well as in wrath. He came as deity veiled the first time. He came as deity revealed the second time. He came to bring peace the first time. He will come to make war the second time. All you have to do is read the book of Revelation. He came with 12 disciples the first time, and he will come again with his saints and with an army of angels the second time. He was given a crown of thorns the first time. He was given. He will be receiving a crown of royalty the second time. He came as the suffering servant of the Lord, clearly spelled out in the book of Isaiah. The second time when he comes, he's coming as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. What an awesome Savior we have. Now, Zechariah 9.9, while you're right there, if you will glance at this prophecy with me, uh, this is a beautiful prophecy, and it has details in it. And you keep in mind that this prophecy, which you are looking at right now, was written 600 years before Jesus Christ rode into Jerusalem. 600 years before Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly, riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. 
Now we're going to mention the fact that uh, unique details of a prophecy were fulfilled when Jesus rode into uh, Jerusalem on the first Palm Sunday. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. He's speaking to the people of Israel. Behold, your king is coming. Jesus Christ presented himself as the king of Israel, as the promised Messiah. He is righteous. He, uh, that, and that refers to his character. He's the righteous one. He's the just one. And sometimes when we think of the uh, attributes of God, like the fact that he's righteous, we need to remind ourselves, our God is absolutely perfect. He doesn't make any mistakes. He doesn't do anything wrong. He has never sinned when Christ was here on the earth. He was truly God, truly man. He never sinned. And, and we need to keep this in mind because sometimes we don't understand what God allows in this life. Some, there are some things we say, boy, if I were God, I might do something differently. Listen, God makes no mistakes. We'll be talking about that in just a few moments. He's an awesome and a wonderful God. He comes and he comes as one who is righteous or just is another translation, and having salvation. He's the deliverer. He delivers people from sin. And you and I, as believers, we know people who are in bondage to sin. We know some people who are in bondage to addictions. And uh, these addictions can be broken through the power of Jesus Christ. Uh, and I, it really amazes me sometimes how people underestimate what Christ can do. And I have to remind myself, too, when I'm asked to do certain things, you know the verse with me. I can do all things through Christ. Let's do it again. I can do all things through Christ. Now, that all things obviously means all things in the will of God, not things out of the will of God, not things that uh, we feel we can do in our own strength, but all the things that are in the will of God, I can do all things through him, through Christ, who gives me strength. And he's the one that was prophesied uh, to go into Jerusalem. And, of course, that last phrase there in that prophecy, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a, pardon me, of a donkey. And we will be looking at this event. Now, the event starts in the 19th chapter of Luke. And it mentions the fact that uh, in verse 28, Jesus arrived uh, at the uh, village 28 and 29 of Bethpage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet. Uh, he is there. Now, it's interesting when this event happens, the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders who did not um, want Jesus to uh, receive the acclaim he was see- receiving, who uh, did not want him to be exalted as the Messiah, Uh, They had already put out an all-points bulletin on Christ. And it says in John 11, But the chief priests and Pharisees had given orders that if anyone found out where Jesus was, he should report it so that they could come and so that they would arrest him. But the Lord Jesus, of course, knew that it was time uh, for him to fulfill the Old Testament prophetic scriptures, that passage that you have just read in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And he came and went into Jerusalem to first time publicly to reveal himself as the promised Messiah of the Old Testament scriptures. Now, this public presentation of Christ was not designed to discover whether or not Israel would receive him because at this point they've already rejected him 
especially the leadership of Israel. They rejected him. The purpose of this event, Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the donkey, was to fulfill prophecy. Now, there's another reason, too, I'm going to mention that. But primarily, it's for people to understand who knew the Old Testament scriptures. And here's that passage of scripture that we just read again. Zechariah 9.9. When the Messiah comes, when the one son of the Father comes, he's going to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. But also, I believe the reason that event occurred as well is because the Lord was looking for those in the masses of humanity who would still believe that he was the promised one sent by the Father. So I believe it was also an opportunity for individual belief. Now, if you let your eyes glance at the text, uh, again, the triumphal entry of Christ is mentioned in Matthew 21, Mark 11, John 12 as well as this passage, Mark 9, uh, Luke 19. Let your eyes glance at the text and see how it's divided up. The preparation is in verses 28 through 35, the pre- preparation for the event. The procession, the event itself, is in verses 36 to 38. The perspective of the religious leaders at what is happening, 39 and 40, the prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ, 41 through 44 and here again we're going to see the compassion of Christ even though he rode into Jerusalem and had that acclaim by multitudes he was filled with compassion and the Bible says that Jesus wept now the event starts out uh, with the Lord Jesus sending two of his disciples into a village nearby it was probably the village of Bethpage and the details of what the two disciples of Christ would find show very clearly that Jesus Christ is God the Son and he's omniscient, he knows all things. He told them that when they went into this village, they would find a donkey colt. Now the other account in Matthew says a donkey with the colt, okay, C-O-L-T. My accent may not be coming across too well. C-O-L-T, with a colt, okay? And um, he told them that they would find this donkey colt. It would be tied up, and he told them they were to loose it and bring it to him. You will find a colt, verse 30 in our Luke 19 passage, you'll find a colt tied, and then there's a little statement which says, on which no one had ever ridden. Okay, we'll hold with that. Secondly, he says to his disciples, they're going to ask you, why are you untying the colt? And they were to answer, because the Lord has need of him. And of course, the owners of the donkey permitted the disciples of Jesus to take the the donkey away. Now, actually, what's really interesting is there's no further explanations here. We don't know the extent of all the words that were said. But one thing is clear. I believe that the owners of the donkey knew when these men said, the Lord has need of him, (laughs) they knew who he was talking about. They knew it clearly, who he was talking about. He's the one, of course, who raised Lazarus from the dead. He's the one that healed the blind. He's the one who uh, performed many, many other miracles. And I believe the owners of the donkey knew that very well. You see, the Lord Jesus planned everything out to the very last detail. 
because, please don't miss this now, this is important, because he's in complete control. Very important. Yes, he's going to Jerusalem. Yes, when he gets there, he will be betrayed. He will be dragged before political leaders. He will be falsely accused. He will be crucified. But you say, he is in complete control. Jesus is Lord and Master of every detail of his divine destiny. Now, it's interesting to look at the... um, uh, where these events take place, you'll notice it says in verse 37 that he was drawing near to the descent of the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives was 2,000 feet uh, higher than um, Mount Zion in, in Jerusalem. The crest of the Mount of Olives was uh, just about a mile east of Jerusalem. And uh, so the Lord Jesus again He's able to look down on the city of Jerusalem and he knows what's going to be taking place there. He really does. He knows what's going to be taking place. There's a lot of history between uh, described in Scripture between good and bad, the things that happen on uh, Mount uh, Olives, Mount Olivet. It was on the Mount of Olives that Solomon grieved the Lord by setting up idols, pagan idols, uh, to... Uh, appease his foreign wives. It was on the Mount of Olives that Ezekiel saw the glory of God and uh, he was moved in his relationship and strength uh, in his um, message giving because he saw the glory of God. But it's from the Mount of Olives that the Lord Jesus went down into Jerusalem on the donkey and um, went into the city. Very interesting. It was from the Mount of Olives that the Lord Jesus Christ ascended back up into heaven. Remember when he ascended up into heaven? Angels were standing by, and he said to the disciples, Hey, we would have been looking too, right? Why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus that you saw ascend up into heaven will so come in like manner as you have seen him go up into heaven. So at the second coming of Christ, remember now, he's coming back down to Jerusalem to rule and reign for a thousand years. And when he comes, even at the rapture, we'll see him in the clouds, the text of Scripture says. We will see him. We will know him. Uh, we will be involved in this awesome event. So I guess the, the point here is very clear. Uh, we worship the one who is in, always in total control. That's a very important truth in Scripture. Uh, we Sometimes when we see what's happening in our world, uh, we see things that, we even use this phrase sometimes, well, this shouldn't happen. You've heard people say that, right? This shouldn't happen. But who is in ultimate control over all things? Ultimately, the one who doesn't sin, the one who doesn't make mistakes, but he gives man, he gives mankind a free will. And you and I know there are those who choose to do things which God allows them to do. They have a choice to make, and they choose sometimes wrong things, but he ultimately is in ultimate control. I like 1 Timothy 6.25, pardon me, 15, which says, God is the blessed controller of all things, the king over all kings, and the master over all masters. In fact, it gets right down to our lives, too. This is why God wants us to have confidence in him, that he is in ultimate control. I thought it was interesting that Doris Allen mentioned yesterday, uh, you know, she would rather be home, you know that. 
She would rather not be in a senior facility. You know that. But she said, you know, I know. And here's a testimony of a, a mature believer. And she says, I know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. I said, Doris, that was so good to hear from you. It really was. We don't always understand a lot of the circumstances that affect our personal lives. God is in ultimate control. We see that as we look at the triumphal entry. Listen to these verses. Proverbs 19.21 There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel will stand. Proverbs 16.9 A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And of course, the point is, they couldn't take the life of the Lord Jesus Christ until his hour had come. Pilate says to Jesus, don't you know that I could have you crucified? And what did Jesus say? Can't do anything without the approval of my Father in heaven. So yes, we worship the one who is always in total control and how awesome this is. You'll notice it says, um, we're not looking at this text right now, but it says very clearly, very, very clearly in Matthew 21, It says that um, all this was done, that is all the events around the uh, triumphal entry of Christ, which was spoken by the prophet saying, tell the daughter of Zion. Scripture was being fulfilled. Scripture given 600 years prior to Christ going into Jerusalem. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ, again, when we think about the life of Christ, The Lord Jesus Christ, from the beginning to the end of his time on earth, ultimately is not only in total control, but he's submissive to the word of God. Whatever God the Father wants him to do, he does willingly and accurately and fulfills sometimes minute details. You're familiar with that verse in John 5.39 where Jesus said, Search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but these are they which testify of me. And, of course, the point is, Jesus was saying to the Jewish leaders, oh, they knew the Bible. They had their Bibles, and they would read things. And they said this, because we are Jewish, because we're children of Abraham, we're going to make it. Nothing about the heart, nothing about a a repentance of sin and coming to a heart relationship with God. Because we are, we are going to make it. And Jesus often had to speak against that truth and tell the truth of uh, what scripture said that he was the messiah and the scriptures and sometimes people ask what's the theme of the bible you could answer that right jesus these are they which testify of me uh, the, the scriptures are very clear they testify clearly of the lord jesus christ he is the theme of scripture So secondly, we see that we worship the one, the Lord Jesus Christ, who rode into Jerusalem. We worship the one who is totally in submission to the word of God. Uh, He, in fact, just recently I saw that track that was written entitled 33 Prophecies Fulfilled in a Day. In one day, from the Old Testament scriptures, in one day, Jesus fulfilled 33 prophecies that were recorded concerning him. How awesome this is. And by the way, it encourages us with our Bibles. We know that we have in our hands this morning uh, the very word of God. Uh, we know that the, um, the scriptures uh, contain that which we call fulfilled prophecy. 
And some, I remember a Bible study in New York. Uh, the men said this. We, we had just started the Bible study. I remember what the men said. They said, um, you know, we hear every once in a while people say, I don't know if the Bible's really the Word of God. Can, can we do a, a brief study on how we know the Bible is the Word of God? Hey, great, we're going to do it. We're going to pull these things together. Now, um, I did that study, and I tried to find it, and I couldn't find it. And you know how organized my system is, right? <laughs> so I started scratching out the reasons why we know the Bible is the inspired Word of God. And you may need to say that sometime. Because there's tremendous attack on the Word of God today. But keep in mind, keep your, keep your confidence in Scripture. There's no book like it. There's no religious book like it. There's no errors in it. It's divinely inspired. God guided the human writers so that they wrote all that God wanted us to have in the Scriptures. Well, how do we know if you were to do a study? Well, number one, I'm going to put all the way at the top this morning because of Christ's fulfillment of Scripture, the fulfillment of prophecy. There are so many prophecies in the Bible that were fulfilled to the minutest detail. And uh, I'm not going to mention them all. Secondly, the testimony of Jesus. Jesus had tremendous confidence in Scripture, obviously because he as well as the Father and the Holy Spirit guided the human writers. The testimony of Jesus. John 17, 17, Jesus said, Your word is truth. And if you hear people talking about truth and the subject of truth, Boy, that, there's a wonderful golden opportunity for you to say, you know, the truth of God is found in the written word of God. Testimony of Christ. Thirdly, the textual preservation and the unity of Scripture. Forty different authors writing over a period of 1,500 years, and the Scriptures blend and agree together. And the theme of Scripture is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. The historical accuracy. See, um, I remember Dr. Walvert at seminary used to say this. He said, when some people come along and say to you, well, there's some errors in the Bible, best thing we can do is say, show me. And he used to say this, too. If you, if you don't have an answer, it appears like there's an error. If you don't have an answer, just say, hang around. I'll try to get you some answers. Because there is an answer. Because there's no, this is the um, inspired word of God. There is historical accuracy. And then fifthly, there's the testimony of archaeology, great reading in this area. And then lastly, there's scientific accuracy. Long before modern scientific efforts have been placed in our world, long before that, the Bible said the earth was round. And of course, when Columbus sailed the ocean blue, they thought it was, yeah. Bible said, Isaiah chapter 40, the earth is round. The earth is suspended in space. Job chapter 26. Yes, we worship the one who submitted himself and had himself confidence in the written word of God. Thirdly, uh, we worship the one who embodies humility. The Lord Jesus Christ rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. A young colt. Someone said this. I like these little phrases. You see them once in a while. Here is deity on a donkey. And that's true. He was fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah 9.9. The Lord Jesus had no need, by the way, uh, to break in the donkey. You've heard of people uh, getting a horse, and after they obtain the horse, it's got to be broken in so they can ride it. You know why Jesus didn't have to have the donkey broken in, right? You know that. 
because the donkey knew the creator was going to be on him. Very important. Very important. Small detail. The donkey knew its creator, its master. Our Lord, again, in control of all things. Jesus came as the Messiah, the King of Israel, to bring righteousness and salvation in that prophecy that we read. He came humbly, riding on a donkey. And they, sat, they shouted out together, Blesses the King who comes in the name of the Lord. And there are multitudes of people at this time. And they're praising God with a loud voice. And, and they're saying, Blesses the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Um, they, they throw down their coats in front of the donkey. Some of them, John's account says they went and they, they cut down palm branches. And they're waving the palm branches uh, in praise to the Lord and shouting, Blessed is the King, verse 38, who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, they, as a crowd, as a group, are acknowledging that Jesus Christ is the promised King of Israel. Now hold on to this for just a minute. We're going to bring up a point that I think sometimes people miss here. Yes, the crowd is shouting this. I know you know the answer to this, but think with me for just a minute. Do they really know that Jesus is the promised king of Israel? Do they really know it, even though they're shouting it out? We're going to talk about this in just a minute. Fourthly, we worship the one who alone saves from sin. Matthew 21 Verse 9 says, The multitudes cry out, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And as you have heard, the word Hosanna means save now. When they're asking Jesus, riding in on the donkey to save, they're not asking for being saved from their sins. They're asking for their nation to be saved from the oppression of the Roman government. Save our nation. They wanted a conquering, reigning Messiah who would take on the Roman military and allow the Jewish people who were in subjugation uh, to rise up and uh, have the power and authority which they thought that they should have. But however, the Bible is clear. Jesus did not come to conquer Rome. He went in on a donkey. He went in humbly as the one, and you know the purpose for his going into Jerusalem, to go all the way to the cross and there to die for your sins and my sins. He came to conquer sin and death. And you know, wow, sometimes these very important truths kind of they kind of work their way out of our thinking. Sometimes. I didn't say always. Sometimes. The Lord Jesus Christ came to conquer sin and death. He did this by his death on the cross and by his resurrection. So now you and I as believers have victory over sin. We can have real victory over sin. Romans chapter 6 verse 18 says, And having been set free from sin, you became servants of righteousness. We are so blessed, aren't we? Really. Don't we have a salvation that's awesome? You know? We've been set free from sin. Listen, we're all tempted to sin. And none of us are sinless. But I'll tell you what, I don't say this with any sense of pride whatsoever, but we can sin less 
because we have the power of Christ living within us. In fact, we are those who we know the Lord has forgiven us and we have no need to be self-righteous. But we know what Jesus did for us on the cross. He paid the price for our sins. And he broke the power of sin. So you and I, when we're tempted, we can say no to Satan. We can say no to temptation. And there are many people who, you'll hear them say, I I can't get victory in this area. Is that an accurate statement for someone who knows Christ as Savior? That you cannot get victory in an area? When Jesus Christ came to break the power of sin? Boy, this is important truth. Quickly, moving along. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, is what they were saying. And uh, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this. Verse 38, it's there. The concept of being blessed comes from the Old Testament scriptures as well. Blessed is he. Remember from uh, Numbers chapter 6, that ironic blessing. Ironic. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. That's, that's, That's awesome. It really is. And my pastor in my home church, I'm blessed to have been raised in a Christian home uh, in an evangelical church. And the pastor, many Sundays, would um, end the service. Lutheran pastor put his hand up. And we felt it. Our family knew that our pastor loved Jesus and he cared how we lived the Christian life. And he would raise his hand and he'd say, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. Well, the people of Israel, you see, they wanted blessing. They're not only saying, Bless the seed comes in the name of the Lord, but their concept of blessing comes out of the Old Testament scriptures. And they wanted the blessing of God upon them. And they could have it if they trusted Christ. The last thing we're going to touch on is the fact that we worship the one who gives peace. The disciples, pardon me, the Pharisees rather, came uh, in the, out of the crowd and they said to Jesus, verse 39, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus said, I tell you, if these would keep silent, the stones would cry out immediately. The stones would cry out. Man, this is awesome. Why? Because this is a moment that was designed by God who is in control that's the God we worship, by the way. The God is in control. Jesus is going into Jerusalem on the donkey, and the people are crying out and saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But they're not interested in what Jesus came to do. Not at all. And uh, there's this great jubilation on the part of multitudes of people. Now watch what Jesus said. Look at the text very carefully. Now he drew near, verse 41, and saw the city, and he wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in your day, the things that make for your peace, they are now hidden from your eyes. For the days will come when your enemies when your enemies, will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave one stone upon another. Here's the reason. Don't, list, don't miss the last part of verse 44. Because you did not know the time of your visitation. You see, Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem. They're all in a state of uh, excitement and exaltation. But Jesus says, no, you don't understand. 
This is the time of your visitation. I have come to give life. And as a nation, and the nation and the leaders of the Jewish people, they rejected the Son of God. And as a result of that, you know what happened on 70 A.D.? Roman soldiers came in and leveled the city of Jerusalem to the ground in judgment. And that's why Jesus, of course, wept. They were in great excitement. Here's our king. Wait a minute, what kind of king did they want? They wanted a king who would be a military king, who would throw down the Roman government. But Jesus came as the king of kings and the lord of lords to go into Jerusalem and give his life on the cross for you and me so that we might have peace. And there's another thing we have as a result of Christ's death on our behalf. We have peace. See, our hearts go out to people who do not have peace of mind. Peace of mind. It is so important that we're able to live in our world today and know that our God is in total control that we are where God wants us to be. Oh, by the way, we may not be all that God wants us to be, but we're where God wants us to be. We're under his hand, we're in his plan, and we have peace of heart and mind. Remember that verse? And we know that all things work together for good. To the Some things, people will say, some things work together for good. I don't have that translation. All things do. See, the Lord Jesus came... Summary, to fulfill prophecy, to let us see that God is in ultimate control when he rode into Jerusalem. Everything was planned out by the Lord Jesus Christ. And he presented himself as the promised Messiah of Scripture. And any Jewish people who knew the Old Testament Scriptures knew those verses that we looked at recently. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and when his stripes we are healed. Let me close out with this thought. As the multitudes kept saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna. They, said, they, they would talk to one another in the crowd and say, Wait a minute. Who is this one? Who, who, who is this going in on the donkey? Who is that? And most of them answered by saying, it's Jesus of Nazareth, the prophet of the Lord. Wrong. Wrong. You say, well, he was the prophet of the Lord. Yes, he was. That's not ultimately who Jesus was. If they thought of him only as a prophet, like Isaiah, Jeremiah, wrong. He's the son of God. He's the promised Messiah. Don't miss this now. Here's your point in this. People miss this. Here's your point. They're shouting, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed the son of David, the king of Israel. However, they didn't know what they were saying. They didn't understand what they were saying. You say, they didn't? No, they didn't understand. They're calling Jesus the prophet of Nazareth. They did not comprehend who Jesus really was. Stay with me for just a minute. You and I who are burdened for people who do not know Christ, don't miss us. We know people who talk about Jesus. He's the Jesus of the Bible. He's the Jesus who went to the cross. He's the Jesus who rose again. But they don't comprehend it. They don't understand it. 
they don't have a relationship with God through Jesus. They're saying the right things. When you talk to them, say, oh yeah, I was baptized here. I, this happened in my life. I know about Jesus. But they never connected with Jesus Christ in their hearts. And our hearts go out to people we know and love who do not know Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior. Our hearts go out. Who is he? He's the promised Son of God who went to the cross. Here's where it happens now. And there he died and paid for my sin on the cross. It's not just an intellectual, I can tell you who Jesus is. That's what they were doing. That's what the multitudes were doing. Oh, but they didn't really believe that which they were shouting out. When it got down to, wait a minute, who is this one going into Jerusalem on the donkey? Oh, he's Jesus of Nazareth, the prophet. Yes, he was a prophet, but he wasn't just a prophet. So if you're saved this morning, please keep this in mind. That God has given you an awesome knowledge of himself. And God has brought you away from a life of sin and separation from him and has put you in relationship to the God of the universe so that when you drive away from here this morning, you say, Lord, I'm just so thankful that I'm saved, that I know you as my Lord and Savior. But at the same time, you you need to be saying, Lord, I'm, I'm burdened for somebody I know and they're not saved and they know about you. They know that you died on the cross. They know that you're even the theme of Scripture. But they don't know you in a personal way. How thankful we are that God gave us this event, which exalts Jesus. Jesus, in his humility, rode into Jerusalem on the donkey. And by the way, we are among the few, when you look at the whole world today, we are among the few who are looking for the return of Jesus Christ in the clouds of heaven and then when he comes down to the earth. What an awesome God we have. Let's pray together.